Hey gang, welcome to episode 115 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. This week on the show, our friends from Scout Expedition Company have swung back by to talk about the lessons they've learned uh, making The Nest, which is one of our favorite pieces of the year so far. Uh, that would be Jarrett Lance and Jeff Leinenweber. Um, it's it's another good. Let's let's knock off the armor, get down into the nuts and bolts of things type episode. And if you're a fan of their work, and they they got like a lot of people through, um, this one's worth sticking around for and uh, hearing it all. It is a big show. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, we have. Uh, Meredith Trainin, who is uh, the director of Grief, is uh, stopping by also to talk about her upcoming show. And uh, we've got some things to talk to you about, uh, starting off with um, our friends at the Future of Immersive Leisure. Uh, that's coming up next week. So uh, it's there in Las Vegas. 13th and the 14th at the Mandalay Bay. Uh, This is the conference in their first year uh, about virtual reality, augmented reality, and 40 in-location-based entertainment. Kevin Williams was our guest on the show a little while back, Christian Diekman, before that. They will both be there. Uh, There's a 20% discount code with the the code NOPERSINIUM if you want to go to the conference and uh, I I wish I wasn't uh, stuck at the day job. Uh, Otherwise, I would... uh, I would come join you guys. I'd, I'd, I'd actually, they asked me to host a panel and I was like, I, I'd love to, um, I'm, I, I'm stuck at the day job. So, um, yeah, you can help me unstick the day job <laughs> and, and no one new came on this week. This is a perfect transition. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. That is the sole economic support for this show. As always, Ross Sigworth is our sustaining backer. Uh, nobody knew jumped on the bandwagon this week. Um, and, and we did like the most work we've done in a very long time. So it's uh, slightly disheartening. Um, and, and that work we're going to talk about in, in a rough second here, but patreon.com slash no proscenium, uh, just a dollar, a dollar a month is all I ask. If you, if you're a regular listener of the show, if you get the newsletters, uh, if you hang out on everything immersive, uh, if, if, if this stuff helps you in the least, uh, come, come on by and, uh, and, and just drop, drop a dollar in the bucket. $12 a year makes a world of difference, particularly if everyone did it. Um, just, just imagine, imagine what could happen if this was, this was all I did. Hmm. Think about that. I think about it all the time. Okay. Um, normally we do, uh, the big... Noah talks to us section <laughs> at the end of the show because we used to do it at the beginning of the show and I really hated that. But we've had some stuff happen in the past week, uh, bad stuff, good stuff. And instead of letting you get away, we're going to have a talk. We're going to have a talk right now. Mostly because um, I know how many of you already are talking and uh, let's just get right into it. 
So last weekend in Los Angeles, there was a new uh, extreme haunt, as they're called. Um, some people want us to call them horror experiences. Uh, I leave that to the horror and haunt community to decide on. That uh, had popped up here. Uh, it had made a non-contact debut at the Scare LA convention. Had gotten some buzz on a like a couple of the horror blogs. You know, we don't. And this isn't me going like, oh, yeah, we're awesome. Like, we, we don't dive too far into that world because there's a p- bunch of people covering it. And um, we have limited resources here at NoPro. And if I have to make the choice between, well, you know, three other blogs are uh, in the horror scene are covering an extreme haunt. Uh, and uh, I've got these two arty weird shows that need attention. I'm going to choose the two arty weird shows that aren't, you know, getting a bunch of coverage. That's what we do. But we also monitor these things to make sure that everything's on the up and up. And last Friday, there were um, what we initially called serious safety concerns um, that had taken place uh, at the Friday night show. You can see uh, Caden Michael Russell's version of events he was one of the audience members Caden is the owner of the basement in los angeles and he describes what sounds like a either very poorly designed gag that never should have been put in place where people are loaded under a bed other people are loaded on top of the bed and then the bed is picked up and slammed down and it it broke the headboard broke and it struck people on top of the bed and it slammed down and struck the people under the bed as well. Um, there's only two possibilities here. Oh, and then the show continued. That's, that's a critical thing that I, that I nearly failed to mention. And I'm not getting into all of the, the, the scary details here. If you want to see those, you have two options. You can read, the article at No Persinium, which at this point I'm assuming you have, because I've seen how many people have read the article at No Persinium, and it's a lot. And which is why we're talking about this right now, because so many of you know what's up. And I haven't taken a, 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 a super clear stance here yet. I mean, I think I have, but I, I'm going to make it very clear what's up in my head. Um, and you can also see Caden's uh, version over at Everything Immersive. It's lengthy. It's easy to find. Um, or it should be easy to find. I'll put it in the uh, Everything Immersive This Week notes. You'll be able to find it there when that goes out later today. Uh, this is Friday. Um, okay, so they didn't stop the show after this thing slammed into people, S- which means there's there's two possibilities here. One, this was planned to happen this way, which is just dumb. I'm just going to call it. That's a that's a dumb quote unquote gag to have a headboard slam down on people. Um, or two, it wasn't planned to happen that way, and they didn't stop the show. Which is also bad. So either way you go, poor judgment. And I've seen one person. I haven't seen a lot, but I've seen one person. 
um, say, hey, you know, they're they're first timers. Like, let's not be, you know, let's let's not say mean things about. Mm, no, okay, look, stop the presses right there. This is not a show running late. This is not a show uh, making you hold worms when you didn't think you were going to hold worms. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that we forgive because this is a new space and there's opening night jitters. There's a lot. But there's a minimal, viable product involved in any of that stuff any of this stuff and that is the safety of the audience and the performers without those two things the show literally cannot go on you cannot be engaged with the show if the show isn't structurally sound because you get th- on, on a simple level you get thrown out of the experience if something's broken sometimes literally and on a bigger level if someone gets injured, everything grinds to a halt. It should grind to a halt. In this case, it didn't grind to a halt. That's not supposed to happen. The good news is that while there were some injuries that sound not fun, people being sore a couple days later, etc., There wasn't anything catastrophic, but from Caden's report, it sounds like there could have been something catastrophic. And one thing we have not seen publicly from the producer of this is a clear acknowledgement of the depth to which things seem to have gone wrong. We've seen appeals to like, Hey, we're, we're just, we're just figuring it out. I'm going to tell you something right now as the editor and publisher of No Persinium and as the administrator at Everything Immersive. We do not accept the idea that people do not take responsibility for things that go wrong at their productions. We do not. You cannot just say, oh, hey, we didn't know what we were doing. Nope, doesn't work. We've been running on the honor system in both these places for a long time now, and it's worked. And we've been very happy about that in that everyone's doing their best and sincerely doing their best and everyone's being thoughtful. And when things go wrong, people take responsibility for things going wrong. And I'm not talking about people's feelings. Plenty of people know I'm, I can be a grouchy, grouchy, grouchy bastard. And people's feelings can get hurt. And it's not a good thing. I'm talking about people's bodies. All right? Not going to play that game at all. And so, with that in mind, at No Persinium, we're just not going to cover any production from an unvetted company that appears to put people in the potential of harm's way. If we do not know your pedigree, if 
we don't know who your safety coordinator is, if we don't know that you're carrying insurance, if you're doing stuff that's physically risky, um, if you haven't been reviewed or vetted by somebody else, we're not putting you in the newsletter. And the newsletter remains a pretty big platform. This show remains a pretty big platform, and we're, we're, we're happy about that, but that's not the thing. The thing is, we got to look out for our audience. We got to look out for the people who trust us. And it's not just the creators who trust us to write cool reviews of their shows or emotionally connected, whatever. It's that, that's like a side benefit. That's, that's developing the art. But there's no developing the art if someone gets sued into the ground and then everyone else has to like shut her up and not do work anymore. All right. So I can't take the risk anymore. We've done it in the past. There have been shows in the past where, where we were like, hey guys, here's the thing. They're not saying much about who they are. We don't know. Buyer beware. You will not see that again. I ain't going to do it. I didn't do it for this spooky season issue. I didn't put the show in question. I didn't put them in this issue because I was like, oh, I don't know. So yeah, there's that. Over at Everything Immersive, Everything Immersive is kind of a self-serve situation. If you throw up a show thread, if you show up an announcement, you know, you're good. I have directed the moderators over there to investigate and question any show that appears to, again, and we're probably mostly talking extreme haunt type stuff, but there are other types of shows that put people into physical peril or apparent physical peril. I have instructed them to ask the same questions. Who are you of the producers? Who's your safety coordinator? Are you carrying insurance? How can we know that you've done your due diligence? Those producers who do not play ball will have their listings removed. Full stop. And I'm going to tell you right now, everything immersive is a beast. That platform is big. So just don't, don't play here. There's no playing to be had. And if something goes wrong in any show, own up to it. It's the only way we're going to trust you. And if you're covering this space, and I want everyone to listen to this one right now, if you're covering this space, do the work, call people out if you know that something's going weird. Because right now, the people who are covering the space are the folks that everyone's turning to, to trust. And we've got to do that work. We have to. It is a moral imperative. And without it, we run into some kind of crazy disaster, that's on us. So yeah, I haven't been happy this week. Been stressed out. <sighs> but there is good news. You know how I keep on talking about, oh yeah, you've got the brain trust, and oh, like, you know, Leia's coming, you know, oh, like, it's going to be a thing. And it's like, keeps on like not materializing. Um, that's because, you know, <laughs> 
starting a nonprofit from scratch is like work. So what we're doing uh, is going very deliberately. Like there are there are legal things that have to be done. But with that in mind, I am very happy to announce that we have officially announced the creation of the League of Experiential and Immersive Artists, which is an organization by and for immersive creators and producers designed to advance the immersive arts. You can find our initial announcement at leia.design slash founding. And you can read it there and you can see who signed on. You're going to recognize a few of those names. Some of the names you won't recognize, but if you do a little research, you'll figure out who they are and you're like, oh man, cool. That's the founding committee. The permitting committee is also already active. And there are people who are stepping up and who are willing to serve in the committees. It's going to take us about a year for this thing to have its proper nonprofit status. So don't expect things to just suddenly change overnight. But we are working. We are working it as our tertiary and some of us our fourth job. And it is coming together. And we're building it to survive the test of time. All right. And if you want to get involved, if you want to help, if you want to lend your efforts to the many things we need to do, you can email us contact at Leia.design. That's L-E-I-A dot design. Okay. That is an exceptionally long opening section. And now on to our first interview. And then I got a contest for you. Oh yeah. I got some fun for you. Here we go. Uh, let's talk about a brand new immersive show from folks that we know that is also like a theater piece and it, you know, isn't making you walk a tightrope or, you know, I don't know, skateboard with razors attached to your feet or something like that. This is from our friend Meredith Trinan. The piece is called Grief and she's going to tell you all about it right now. Hi, Meredith. Hello. So uh, tell us about your upcoming show. Tell us about Grief. Yeah. So um, Grief has been in the works for um, a few years, actually, in um, many different forms. Um, And in this form, at its core, um, it's really an exploration into what grief or loss really looks like and feels like. Um, and, you know, even sometimes sounds like. So um, we were really putting three characters in a room who have just gone through sort of an enormous kind of life-altering loss, um, and we're asking the audience to just kind of peel back the roof of, of their home and, and inviting them to come witness those experiences. So you've been working on this for a while Tell the folks who, you know, aren't familiar with the work you've done so far, sort of like kind of kind of sort of the world behind the scenes you've been playing, because this is a debut work for you. But I've been familiar with you both as a performer and as a behind the scenes person for a while. And I'd love for people to understand just just who you are. Sure. 
Um, so I've been in LA about three years now um, and working primarily actually as a producer. So if you've seen me on stage, um, those, those times have actually been few and far between, but um, have worked with Play Collaborative Arts um, on a number of collaboratively, collaboratively devised um, main stage shows along with um, a few ongoing um, monthly shows, Tiny Rhino and renditions that we do every month. Um, and then also working alongside uh, Derek over at Ceaseless Fun, kind of um, in the behind the scenes production role as well. So what got you to move from producing into directing? What's, what, was the, what was the impetus there? Sure. Uh, I think for me, you know, theater in, in and of itself um, is a really collaborative process. So, you know, I've always kind of worn the producer hat, but in that have done a little bit of directing, a little bit of writing, a little bit of performing along the way. Um, and I was really passionate about the story and um, I think really felt like I wanted to take it on from, from a director's role. So you managed to assemble a pretty interesting cast um, for those who like have been on the scene and go into a lot of the more theatery stuff. Uh, some of the faces will be recognizable. Tell us a bit about the performers you found. Sure. Um, I am working with um, Rachel Rivera, who I've worked with on a number of projects um, with Play Collaborative Arts. Um, really amazing performer, really dynamic. Um, and Juliet Deem, um, who has worked alongside Annie Saunders over at the Wilderness um, for a little while now and has kind of been in our network over at Play. Um, and then Natalie, who I actually haven't worked um, with super closely, but has, again, kind of been around in the circle, um, has a really strong actual, actually um, musical theater background, which has lent itself really well to this show, surprisingly. So why now? You said that it's been in the works for a while. What what made you kind of come out and, and pick right now, particularly like right at the edge of spooky season when, when there's going to be a lot of haunts going on sure. to do to do a piece that's about grief and loss? Sure. Yeah. I, the timing is kind of funny. I think for me, it just was about clarity um, that the project really became super clear to me around January, February of this past year. Um, and I kind of just jumped on it um, and you know, followed the steps along the way and, and wound up in spooky season as we are. But um, I really just had a lot of clarity about the vision of the project and the direction I wanted it to go. So it felt like a good time for me to take it on board. So I'm gonna give you a bit of a brain teaser here that we're starting to play with. Um, and it's not, it's not actually a puzzle, but it's, it's, it's a question that may catch you slightly, slightly off guard, which is if there was, and it could be, it could be an immersive show. It could be a movie. It could be any kind of, any kind of work. If there was a, a, a production out there that you wish that you had made, what, what would that be? Is there, is there one in particular you're like, oh, I would have loved if, you know, this show was mine for whatever reason? Um, this is maybe a funny answer, but I think it's The Wizard of Oz, <laughs> the film. I have always been so captivated by this sort of 
juxtaposition of like playfulness and vibrancy with with some actually really dark themes at times. Um, so I th- I think I would say The Wizard of Oz. Those are oh, big shoes to fill. <laughs> yes. Yeah, those are. But that's you know I haven't I've been I've been looking forward to field testing this question, which I heard in a different context the other day. And I was like, oh, that's a really good question. I wonder what kind of results I'm going to get. And that's an excellent, and on one level, kind of unexpected. And yet on another level, like seeing the work that you've been a part of over the years, I'm like, that makes perfect sense. (laughs) So there you go. And now I think people kind of have a, have maybe a flavor of like just who you are. And particularly the way you, particularly the way you answered it. Right. Like it wasn't like, oh, like, you know, like the color or this It's just like, no, it's the juxtaposition. I'm like, yeah. OK, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something we're definitely exploring in this piece and, and keeps coming up kind of time and time again. So um, excited to be exploring that in grief as well. Fantastic. All right. So if people want to catch this, if they want to check out the work that you've been doing, uh, how do they one? Are, are there tickets still left in the run? Tickets are still available. Um, you can find them on brown paper tickets, um, and you can check us out on Instagram at grief project LA, um, the links up there in our bio, and you can check us out there. Fantastic. And of course, for those who are listening to the show, uh, there is a show card at no proscenium, uh, for grief. And it's also listed in the now playing section in the, uh, not so spooky section of the current now playing, because of course we're in Halloween. And if you search on everything immersive, you will find the show and links to it there. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what you've cooked up myself. Thank you. So Meredith, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Once again, thanks to Meredith for being on the show. We've got more coming at you right now. Uh, In a second, we're going to have the guys from Scout Expedition Company. But first, I want to talk to you about the future of Storytelling Festival. FostFest is coming to New York City in October, October 6th through the 8th. Uh, you can go futureofstorytelling.org to see what they've got. This this is sort of like the big enchilada. Uh, do they do enchiladas in New York? I don't know. I don't know if they're any good. Anyway, uh, look, that's a little that's a little West Coast East Coast rivalry on the food thing. But let's have no rivalry when it comes to all things immersive. And uh, Faust is long been the home. Uh, of immersive gatherings. Uh, Foss had a summit for a few years. Last year was their first festival, starting to kind of open it up to the rest of the world. Immersive theater, VR, AR, uh, and the fest this year is going to be even better than last year's uh, because uh, now now they've got, you know, experience at running it and it's going to kick some butt. And what's really, 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 really fun is they gave me some tickets to give away, including three-day passes. So... What you're about to hear is your possible ticket to three-day passes to the FossFest in New York on October 6th through 8th. Now, here's something. One, do not enter this contest unless you can go. I don't want people squatting on these retickets. Do not want that. Don't grab one of these because you think you might make it. Also, you know, uh, no, 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 no. You know what? 
If I could, I'd fly out there for it. Why not? Why not? Particularly if I'm if if it was free. Oh boy. Particularly, we've got somewhere to crash. And the truth is, um, I could go, uh, but I've got commitments that we can already. So uh, again, I can't go, so you should go. But only take the tickets if you can go. All right? Now that said, I've got 10 tickets to give away, and I'm going to give them away individually. So I'm not giving away pairs. So if you've got a friend who wants to go with you, make them enter the contest as well. Got to have their own separate email entry, and this is email only. All right. So, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna email Noah at nopresidium.com, and you're gonna answer the following question, which is a researchable question that is out there on the internet, and it is, "What concert did I go to this past weekend, and where was it?" Now that may seem unfair. But if you follow No Presidium's Twitter and you use the magic of basic detective skills, you can probably relatively easily hunt down what concert I went to over the past weekend. I only went to one and where it was. And you know where I live and I did not leave town. So this is going to be relatively easy. Not quite as easy as finishing the lyrics to Beck's Loser, which is what people in the New York newsletter had to do, but still pretty easy. And you get to see what kind of moron I am. Not that you didn't know that already. So, Faust tickets, first 10 people to respond to Noah at NoPresidium.com with what concert did I go to this past weekend and where was it? And again, only do this if you can get too fast. And don't enter the contest and just say, well, I don't want the tickets. I just want to tell you where you were. <laughs> just, uh, I had so much email. I do not need that. All right. So just please, serious entries only for this ridiculous concert to uh, <laughs> contest to go to this really cool event that I wish I could be there with you at. Uh, Catherine. Uh, who's helping out with us in New York. And if Zay's around that weekend, Zay will probably be around there too. So uh, look for them. Um, Cause you know, uh, that's a thing. All right. So let's get into the main event. Jarrett Lance and Jeff Leinenweber are scout expedition companies, the makers of the nest, which is a, was a beautiful twist on um, immersive storytelling using tropes from audio serials and escape rooms to create a pretty unique event in Jeff's backyard that lots of people enjoyed and is some of the best designed work we've had out here in the Southland. So on that note, here's our little uh, postmortem on the show. And I hope you enjoy it and enjoy the conversation as much as I uh, love talking with these guys. All right. Well, guys, this isn't Think Tank. It's just my kitchen table. But um, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, for the sake of everyone's ears, let's do this. Uh, why don't we start with my left, and this is the voice of... Jarrett Lance. And to my right is the voice of... Jeff Leinenweber. And unfortunately for you guys, it's not 
positionally positional audio, so you don't have a bin- binaural head or anything like that. So you just have to imagine that you're you're sitting with me. Um, and they are Scout Exposition Company, creators of the Nest, which uh, wrapped up its run after two hundred and fifty. 270 270 yeah yeah oh my god yeah 270 (laughs) just under 300 instances of uh this show which which meant that you know about how many before we describe what the nest is just for my own because i always do this it's like oh i want to detail before we explain (laughs) things to everybody like you know welcome to the show um uh how many how many of them were solo would you say say about 20% 20% maybe yeah. around, okay. around there. Somewhere. Right. And it tended to be, um, again, getting into details, it tended to be people who were really into immersive theater. Not surprisingly, that tended to come themselves where anyone that, the more casual guest, if you will, always came in a pair because they were kind of a little bit hesitant as to like, what is this thing? They had they wanted kind of that safety net, I would yeah. say, of having a second person. Or so, a lot of people even came with a, another person because they couldn't get a ticket or something. Right. So it just allowed yeah. for more people to come see it. So. so so we're looking about like 400 people plus who, you know, got a chance to experience this, yeah. which is which is for an for a limited run immersive piece in Los Angeles. That's a good number of people. So congratulations. Yeah, we were, thank, you. thank you. Yeah, congratulations. We were totally blown away. It was yeah. definitely like several hundred more, well, a couple hundred more than we anticipated. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it, everything stayed together. There were no problems, no big problems or <laughs> right. anything like that, like nothing catastrophic. So yeah, yeah we, we made it. We <laughs> thought it would like just be like our parents and that's it. Like we thought <laughs> yeah. no one was going to come to this thing. Yeah, that, that wasn't, that wasn't going to happen. Not this year anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Next year, maybe, but not this year. <laughs> No. Now that everyone knows what you guys do and don't know. Um, so for those who don't know, right, and it's like, uh, what was The Nest? Um, so The Nest was an immersive show uh, that took place for four months, starting in uh, on April 1st of this year. And the way we're thinking about it now, yeah, looking like- in hindsight, is that it kind of is a serialized audio play Uh, that takes place in a physical environment. So as you explore a physical environment, you find, um, you know, pieces of audio that that tells you um, what what the story is, essentially. Yeah, the story of uh, of our main character, Josie, um, played by Mackenzie Fergans, your friend, Noah. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, like... (laughs) My uh, pseudo-sister, as I call her. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, she's awesome. It was... uh, So the whole experience is sort of a mix of uh, escape room. I mean, there were a lot of comparisons with that, obviously, because of the sort of puzzle and um, sort of unlocking nature of each progression of the chapters of the story. Um, And then, but it was a mix of that and immersive theater and uh, video games, like we had talked about, I think, before Firewatch, Uh, even like old school games like Myst and stuff like that. All all of that sort of amalgamated together to create uh, the experience, which is, uh, yeah, it, yeah. it kind of turned into something more than we even anticipated through the design process. And the basic story setup was that you, as the audience member, um, are going to this storage unit um, where the woman, Josie, as Jeff mentioned, uh, kind of has all of her belongings from her entire life in the storage unit, and she's just passed away. So there's things there from when she was a young girl and in middle age and in her older life. And you enter this space, which is kind of a labyrinth of boxes, um, a dark, cramped space. You have a flashlight that, that you're 
you're poking around in it. It's only you and one other audience member if you so choose, or it can be you by yourself. And as you go through, you're finding um, uh, kind of things that were important to her in her life, um, props and little notes that she might have kept. Um, and also the audio aspect is that you find audio cassette tapes along the way. So um, again, from all different stages of her life, and then that basically tells you what happened to her. And so throughout the entire experience, it was about 45 minutes to an hour, depending on just your pacing, because there's no actors in the space. Uh, so you, we have a, a way of, we had a way of, I guess we can talk about it, right? It's over. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had a way of helping people through the experience through like an old school telephone that was in the space. So we had a story set up where uh, this lawyer who was basically uh, in charge of uh, figuring out Josie's will and, and finding the next of kin to uh, give this uh, storage room to uh, has found you the guest and you're the next of kin of Josie through like several uh, cousins once removed sort of deal like it's a very very like thin relationship but um, you go to the you go to the storage room and then based on the time that you're in there um, where was I going with this? Uh, basically, like we, we would help you get through it, and then um, depending on what you found, the cassette tapes and stuff, the props, you sort of formed your own uh, picture of Josie. And yeah. So each person's experience was uh, not significantly different, but just like a little bit different because you might have found some uh, side stories or found out a little bit more about some of the secondary characters that others didn't. Right. Yeah. No. That you had this this branching narrative you know thing going on with the side story stuff so you know but what was great about it was that going through it felt like a very complete experience and it felt like oh I must have got everything and I remember coming out and you're like oh no no there's there's plenty to get <laughs> and I know that kind of like drove people who have like you know FOMO and like completionists like just insane but I was I loved that because that's the story of like what life is like, you know, like your right. version of somebody is very different from someone else's version of somebody. That's life. That's right. the way it is. It's, and 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 that there is, on the one hand, there's a a, a a a true story about who Josie is. There's like there's what her actual life is. Any single one of us, if we, if we actually knew this person, we'd only know what we know. Right. And that's that's it. The, the full picture only emerges, you know, if you can bring all the pieces together. And you can't do that in life. You can't fully know someone. Right. Yeah, no matter how close to them. I mean, two people who are very close to one person. One could be that person's husband. Another one could be that person's child. They never are going to really see that person in the same way or know the same aspects of their life. Kind yeah. of like you're mentioning, even if you're very, very close to that person. Yeah. And the, and the piece captured that. You mentioned, Jeff, that the, the, the piece changed in the design. And so uh, that's, that's a big thing that I'm kind of curious is like when you set out to, to build this thing versus what it became, what, what, how did it evolve? Well, when we first talked, I mean, we, we had discussed, you know, our idea or at least our goal for the show and that we wanted to tell a character story uh, based on props and audio cassettes and that sort of thing. Uh, but in terms of the show format, 
um, we had sort of committed to a certain time frame based on what uh, we thought was appropriate for the piece. And then as we were designing, we kind of went through a few different iterations of how you would explore the space. And so uh, there was one iteration in which you were sort of just going to be let loose within this labyrinth of boxes and stuff. And it was kind of going to be a free for all. And then you would be capped at 45, 50 minutes and you'd have to leave. And based on what you found in there, that was it. And we did a few play tests early on, just really super early, like literally with uh, pieces of paper reading off the dialogue and a very, very, very simple layout of the room. And we realized uh, at that point that it, it felt a little unfulfilling to experience it in that way. And so uh, it just felt natural that we wanted to sort of well, in some ways, literally gate you from yeah. section to section or chapter to chapter almost. Let me let me drill in there a little bit because it sounds like you guys started with a sandbox format. Yes. And we're hoping to like let people assemble their own narrative. Right. Um, do you think there's some sort of universal truth of design in here that like that doesn't necessarily work? Because I'm instantly thinking of of Sleep No More, where you have the actors on tracks. So in theory, you can drop into one of their tracks uh, and just that be what you do. Or you can kind of float in a space and see what story emerges in a, in a given space. Or you can kind of float all around the building and maybe get a narrative out of it. But so much of it is also just the, the wow of, oh, I'm walking around and there's so much space and like, the dancing so beautiful and like, ooh, what's this? It's candy, you know, like all that sort of discovery. Uh, so it's almost non-narrative at points. So mm, right, I, th I think a sandbox, a son, I can't talk. Sandbox, fancy. Du song. That's not even how you say it. I don't know. I had such an intelligent point, and now I ruined it all. Speaking um, of a sandbox, a yeah. sandbox. A sandbox. This will get picked up by people, by the way. We're going to be hearing that next year. People going, Sandbox. Sandbox. <laughs> sandbox format. Yes. <laughs> yes, quite. I think a sandbox format can work, um, but we would have had to change the design or really leaned into that from the beginning. I mean, Slim No More works because people are fairly familiar with the source material, so yeah. you can kind of... You can kind of pick up on little hints of what character, or which character is which, just because you're somewhat familiar. You probably read it in high school, and yeah. it'll kind of start to is come back Bank to you. Is that Banquo? No, no, yeah. that's Bank. Nope, nope, that's Bank. Oh, nope, that's Banquo. Right, yeah, yeah. it's kind of yeah. fun in that yeah. way, in its own respect. Yeah, right. And I think the sets and the environment and the feeling of being in Sleep No More is so strong. It's like this dreamlike trance that. Especially the first time I went, I don't think I got any narrative at all. Of course, I got like something, but mostly yeah. it was just like I love this because it's such a cool experience. I didn't really care that it didn't get a narrative, um, but in order to do that, you have to have a fifty thousand square foot yeah. environment where yeah. people can wander through for hours, and um, and also the loops, of course, help because yeah. the actors are on, you know, as we all know, multiple loops, so you kind of have a chance to pick back up on the story again and figure out what's happening. Um, so I think a sandbox can work, or sandbox. <laughs> Copyright 2017, Jared Lance. Yes, TM, uh, TM, TM. Damn it! <laughs> damn it! Um, I, I but it's... it would not have worked well for our show, which I think we experienced, thankfully, before we opened, yeah. um, and then kind of uh, went a little bit more in a linear 
uh, it's more of a linear story with kind of some branches and some side quests you can do, for lack of a better word. But but for the most part, it's fairly linear. Gosh, I'm just having a day. <laughs> it's okay. It's 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 hot here in Los Angeles. It's like I know, not... but it's like a heat wave. You know? Yeah, but there's a. I think that there, that's what's awesome about just immersive theater in general is because it's so it's like in this nebulous period where there just is no like right way to do anything and like there's no one certain type of piece that works. Like I think like to your point, Jarrett. Uh, Sleep No More kind of just washes over you in many respects, and that's amazing. Whereas it just felt like for The Nest, since it was a character-driven story, that we had to somewhat be a little bit more linear, and we learned that pretty early on. So I think it just right. it just sort of went that direction based on the type of story we were trying to tell. Yeah, And I think the, the other thing we learned by doing playtests is that it's really important to have a definitive well not definitive to have an ending of some point mm. um, oh so, like so a sleep pencil's yeah. down sleep no more even oh, you know, oh, oh, sleep no, oh I see what you mean right so yeah. sleep no more you're, you're, you're in the sand box for three hours <laughs> but there still is an ending if, yeah. if, if you know they just turned on the work lights and were like okay everyone get out people would be like this sucks um, <laughs> and so I think when we were testing it you know I remember um, one of my friends and his wife were there testing it out, and they had to like go to dinner, and so we kept being like, "Do you want to go? Like, do you?" Need? They're like, "No, we have to keep getting to the end of the story." And they're like, "Okay, well, like it's over forty-five minutes. It's not their fault. It's because we had too much content and we still had a lot of like work to do." Um, but they're like, "No, I have to stay. I have to hear the end." And afterwards, we were just talking through it, and we're like, "Okay, how would you have felt if we had just at forty-five minutes cut you off and taken you out of the space?" And they were like, "I would have like hated that. That would have been <laughs> terrible because you want to find you want some closure, yeah. you know." At the end of the story um there there really is no definitive end as to what happened to Josie but it, it kind of there's an emotional wraps a little bow around yeah. it a little bit so yeah. that you you have a feeling that um she's at peace one way or another however you interpret that is based totally on what you. based yeah. on yeah. what you found yeah. during your experience and yeah there's definitely an emotional button i mean well that that's a question like there's that little there's that little room, there's a little alcove, like sort of the secret space that ha- you know you can unlock at the end. And everybody gets there. And everybody the gets like there. Yeah. Right. every single person. I mean, even if we have to call you every five <laughs> minutes, like we are gonna pull you all the way to. That the was end. what the question I was gonna ask. Like, <laughs> did everybody get that? And yes. that's yeah, that emotion. It's very important. Well, and it, I think I think you're I think you're really onto something in terms of there there has to be a definitive end. Like there was a piece. There was a piece that was being tested the other night, and um, I was I was in the test audience for that, and we did not know, like it was ambiguous. It was like, was this was this over now? Was there something else that was supposed to happen? Like we were not summarily dismissed. We weren't given right. a verbal command, um, and because of the constriction of the and and you know I, I gave the feedback to the creator and I said like you're you're gonna need a, a clear beat at the end and like well. Right. They're like, look, you know, you, you know, we weren't doing the full thing, and you know, they'll be able to, you know, get away, and and they're they're just gonna slip off into the night. And then I hear about like the next night, which was previews, when they had like the full thing, and instead of getting a chance to slip off into the night, the performer got followed by by the a participant who was like doggedly following them, you know, mm-hmm. expecting like when's the next thing, right. and and having known that. This is the kind of thing that happened in like ARG, 
yes. type scenarios back in the day. It's like you must close the circle because right. if you don't close the circle, then everyone just assumes, you know, the story's going on. Or if you don't close the circle, people go, well, I didn't really feel like I got anything. Like, right. I mean, I feel like, I felt like, like there was, that the little room, the little alcove is more of a coda then an ending. I feel like I got an ending at that point in in the nest, and then I got a coda, and I was so thankful for the coda because it felt like you know an award. It felt like it f- it felt like you know you've done something, you've accomplished something. Here's this gift. We made something else for you to just enjoy. There's nothing right. to do here. Like you'll get a little piece of the story, and that's that. You know, right. and and be also because of the the tonal shift just in terms of how much light was in that space. It went from being, you know, dark and weird and unbalanced to being kind of bright and warm and comfortable. Right. And that was amazing. Um, That was exactly the emotional tone, you know, that I needed at that moment. So kudos to you guys on on, on hitting that, that note. Having... Having gone through the experience of making it and then running it so much, what have you learned about this process? I mean, you guys have professional background in experience design. You've worked on other people's shows. This is the first time you've gone soup to nuts on your own thing. What's been the big takeaway? I think one thing is uh, just immersive is, is so different because the audience does have so many options for what they can do. Agency, if you use a buzzword. The audience has agency. Agency. Um, agency. 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 Look, you've started I'm something, you've got to keep on I'm going it. with it. Um, and so it really is about designing for every possible type of person because there's no... We don't want anyone to feel like they're doing it wrong and there really isn't a wrong or a right way to experience the show um and especially having a show with no actors um that was one of the biggest challenges and one of the most interesting things we learned is just how to design something that could work for everybody because you have people on that are total opposites you have people that are very like timid and they kind of just stand in the center of the room and they like shine a little flashlight around kind of very timidly but they don't really want to open anything and then you I have don't other break people it. that are yeah. right yeah. you have other people that will like just bust in and like start going through everything they possibly can and be really aggressive where are the snacks so, right <laughs> Exactly. Next time, guys. Next time. <laughs> I know. Copyright twenty seventeen. No one else. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so yeah, designing one singular experience that had enough flexibility in it to work for that huge range of people. And actually, the phone that Jeff was mentioning gave us some amount of flexibility so again it was kind of an old telephone that would ring at the beginning when he first got in there the character whose name was Mel he was the lawyer he would kind of introduce himself to you and say like okay I'm going through Josie's case file um, I'll call you later if I find anything interesting that that um, might be useful but like it's really cryptic so I can't make a lot of sense of it um, so I'll need your help for some of it and that really gives us the opportunity to call people and, and either speed them up or sometimes slow them down or if they're going really fast we would sometimes give them little 
again, like little side quests of kind of direct them to one of the tapes that was hidden more deeply because, hey, this person's going to finish in 35 minutes and we want them to have a 45 minute experience. So we're going to call them and the lawyer, the lawyer will say, oh, uh, I found this note. It's kind of weird. It's, or it's a map. Uh, if you look over here, it looks like there might be um, something important hidden over there. So um, that was interesting, I think, of designing something that was flexible enough to work for uh, really any personality type. How how many of the personality types were the were the gung ho? Let's let's solve this. Like what what rough mental like percentage? 30, percentage? I, um, yeah. Maybe thirty to forty. Yeah, oh, wow. a little bit less than half, I would say. Quite a bit, um, I think. But I think that also comes from it being somewhat escape room in nature. I think people key into that super early on, and they just. That, that, that's kind of where their brain goes. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that just sort of happens yeah. pretty naturally, I it, think. It's funny because, like... You and know, you're digging through a storage room, so it's exciting to start, like, right. rifling through stuff. Yeah, it's funny because, like, I've, I've heard some people, you know... Like, universally, I think, for the most part, people have really enjoyed it. I've heard some people kind of be like, oh, I wish the puzzles were harder. And I've also heard people go, like, oh, I wish there weren't puzzles. You know? Right. Like, I've heard, like, both. And so this is, this is kind of riding this line in between... Um, right. using the puzzles to just like gate you through yeah. the story and we have like personally we, we love escape rooms but we don't have any uh, escape room design experience and like we were talking about before when it kind of went from the sandbox to a more linear uh, story uh when we started integrating these like simple puzzles, or I guess if you can even really call them puzzles, but using locks as a way to uh, progress people through the story, um, it was never our intention to ever make it like an obstacle that you had to overcome, like in a big way. Uh, it was always just meant to be these light little speed bumps that kind of like uh, help you pause and progress to the next. Uh, Reflect, pause, and and then move on to the next portion of Josie's life. Essentially, let's talk about another speed bump. Let's talk about the flashlight. <laughs> yes, <'Cause laughs> my that, favorite. That thing. Um, <laughs> that thing. Some people I know like freaking hated. <laughs> like and and even and I've I talked to some people who were like angry. They're like that's cheating right like it's cheating to have that thing i found it comical but i think i also almost broke it because no. <laughs> i just bought i bought into the uh, the fact that like it was just going out mm -hmm. right. at times i was like oh this is super inconvenient whack whack, yeah, but whack. that's what no, you that's do what yeah. Fun, yeah like that's totally what you're supposed to do with one of those flashlights also it's in like one of the cheap like two dollar flashlight casings so right. yeah naturally that's what you would how you would treat it so 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 people know what i'm talking about Tell us about the flashlight. What um, did you guys do to that flashlight? Yes. Oh, God. That's... <laughs> did we... Yeah. That poor flashlight. What did we do to it? Um, uh, so really, it all came from the fact that we originally were going to put this in a real storage room. And when we decided we couldn't do that, we still carried over the idea that we weren't going to have power and that we'd have to explore by flashlight because... That's way cooler to explore a space by flashlight, um, especially it if it's a dark and storage room. Like that perfectly fits the vibe we were going for. It makes perfect sense with the story. 
Um, yeah, it's like an aspirational design sort of thing. We were just like, it makes sense. You're in a storage room, has no power, flashlight. That makes sense. And here's like a pro set design tip. No matter what you do, just turn the lights down as much as you can, and it'll <laughs> look infinitely better. So the flashlight totally plays into that. If you see that room with the work lights on, it looks like hot garbage. But when you get, when you get the light in, hot garbage. Well, like right right now, it it'd be really hot garbage. We so did get an air conditioner. Oh, there, that's so halfway through. Know, yeah. we, did, we had to remove a whole wall of boxes put in the air conditioning and put the wall, wall boxes back up. So that's fine. <laughs> um, so yes. Okay. So one of our things that we really wanted to try since we knew people were going to have this flashlight flashlight would be um, the ability to control it. So one of our friends um, served as the tech director on the show um, and he built that show control flashlights, which we could control um, from the booth. Um, and there were cameras and uh, mics, aka baby monitors, um, in the space. And by so booth, aka tell... my laundry room. <laughs> yes, it's all very glamorous, isn't it? Yep. Um, so we could tell where people were, we could see what they were doing, and if you know they were in some sort of dramatic moment, we could uh, flicker the light. We had different modes, so as you went through, it got the flashlight in general got darker and darker. It started to flicker more and more as you went through the show. But then, of course, like I said, having kind of those stinger moments where you could just like flicker the flashlight to black or just turn it to black immediately, um, both to add drama at certain moments, but also if someone's looking somewhere where we don't want them to yet, like for example, under the writing desk, mm. there's like a little, there's a little secret area under the writing desk in the center of the room that would um, open into a little nook um, yeah. where you found something. So if people were like right at the beginning looking under the desk, we could cut the flashlight to black. If people were spending a lot of time looking at something that wasn't important, we could flicker the flashlight out and sometimes it would kind of get them to just go on to something else. So we kind of used it in a way to control people subtly. <laughs> yeah, very lightly. Um, it was surprising yeah. by the end we had it down pretty like... We had we, we knew the moments where we could influence people with the flashlight. Like Jarrett was saying with the writing desk. Because that under the writing desk isn't locked so we can't stop people from finding it. But just like the right time flicker of the flashlight and people would just like forget all about interest. it. They'd and lose like, interest. They'd lose interest thing. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. That's actually really interesting. Like, oh, not supposed to go there, because <laughs> right. it's it's this subtle stuff. I mean, that's where the that's where the art of the art and science is is finding little subtle things you can do to sort of detour people's attention right. uh, and get them back on track. And without, to hide the tech too. Yeah, that was super important for us. Like to try to make it as just. Um, as natural as possible. Right. And even to that vein, we were originally going to have no sort of background music or anything. It was going to be a dead silent space because that's what it would actually be like if you were in a storage unit. There shouldn't be any background music. But that was another thing as we were going through and playtesting it. It just felt really weird to have no background music. Like we were walking through it ourselves. Like we were working on it and we're like, okay, like let's go over here. Like it makes you feel really like awkward when you're in the space with no music. Hmm. Um so yeah, so that, that was another well, thing. At what, point, at what point did you, you add the soundtrack, the underscore, into the, the piece then? Probably pretty early on in the playtest, okay. which was maybe, what, like two or three weeks of that? On yeah, d in March. So it was mm -hmm. probably we had the speakers up because we were going to always have music right at the end. So mm -hmm. thank God we had that already. Um, but yeah, probably a month or six weeks before the show opened is when we added the music. We added the photo developing, like... Two weeks before, and we added the phone in general, like, 
also two weeks before. We were originally going to give people a walkie-talkie that they could communicate with someone. But then we realized, again, with playtesting, we were asking people to carry, like, a flashlight and a tape recorder and tapes and, like, a walkie-talkie. And, like, do we give people a bag or, like, a utility <laughs> belt? Or, like, yeah. what is this crap? It got way too hard. And then we're like, okay, a phone. Here's your cargo pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please, yeah. please keep track of where you've put things in the nooks. Yeah, it's not a video game. You have to, like, actually carry it around. Right, around yeah. Like Resident Evil, you have to reshuffle everything so that it all fits within the grid. Yeah. Well, there's a game for you right there. You know? there you and the other thing, too, about the flashlight, real quick, is that I think it was kind of annoying, but also part of the design was really to slow people down in general and to really tether people together. That's what its purpose was. If you're going in a group of two, if you could see in the space, the two people would split up. This person would go over here. This person would go over there. They'd be rummaging through. They'd be trying to solve separate puzzles. One person would be listening to the tapes. The other person would be halfway across the room and won't be able to hear anything. So really, by having the flashlight, it tethered the people together. You're going to have this experience together. You're going to listen to the tapes. You'll get the story out of it. And it really, I think, made people slow down and focus. And if there hadn't been a flashlight and there had just been show lighting throughout the room, it would have been more of like a hectic free-for-all, more like, you know, let's run and find everything as fast as we can. But then when you do that, you don't get any of the story because you're just, like, racing through. And that's one of the downsides of the escape room experience, you know, can be, like, everyone go run off and, like, fixing their own, then, like, a little bit of competition, a little bit of just, like, well, I don't have anything to do right now, you know, and, and not be engaging all the time. Uh, and not be engaging with your party all the time. And right. and the times that are best is when, like, okay, it's hive mind. We're all working on this thing together. Right. You know, everyone's got their got their role and are, are, are kicking it through. And then it's really exciting. Right. Um, and it's one of those things where when there is uh, pressure to escape, like during an escape room, a lot of times the story kind of, well, not always, but it sometimes goes out the window very quickly because of that pressure, and all of a sudden, like that's where your mind is at. You're like, I want to win, and so sometimes those little details and stuff can kind of like go in one ear and out the other for people. Yeah. And I think that that's something right. we wanted to try to avoid for this. And but we also knew at the same time that the experience, uh, the story set up, in, in terms of the, the the way that the room worked out, we knew that it was going to draw comparisons to an escape room, obviously. Right. So we wanted to try to break people from that that mindset. And I think really that was not having a ticking clock, not having this idea that there's an end goal that you need to you escape. You need yeah. There's no win scenario um, because, like Jeff was saying, as soon as you have that win scenario, you need to get out. Even if there's an actor there and and you see he or she, um, you know, and they're trying to do their monologue or whatever it is, you'd probably like grab them in an escape room and be like, hurry up, like just tell me what I need to know. Like I don't care about any of the story stuff. Like I'm just trying to get out. So by removing that goal from it, yeah, people definitely started had the opportunity to really pay attention to the story because they knew that they didn't have to race as quick as they could to the end. Yeah, we had a lot of people who said they started out feeling that pressure, right? Because they knew they had a somewhat limited amount of time. Like, there is a show time that we list. Um, But as soon as they got into it, they realized, you know, that's not what this is. This isn't about winning. This isn't about finding the most tapes. or Like you said, it's just about sort of letting the experience wash over you and just take it as it comes and we're not going to try to hit you with a bunch of really tough puzzles that are going to stop you dead in your tracks. This is just like, you'll get through it when it's time. Yeah. What 
if any doors has this sort of opened up for you guys like has this drawn attention have you are you working on new stuff be- because of of this that you can talk about at all or possibly I think there's there's, <laughs> there's a bunch of inter- interesting opportunities that have come up um, but everything is so early that who knows I mean I think there's there's some there's some ways that we've thought about or talked to other people about like could we have a similar experience but tell it in a, in a different format um, that's kind of one thing we're looking at and then we also have a lot of ideas for other shows um, but all of them are so early I probably wouldn't even be able to explain anything that's in our head in a sensical way people would be like <laughs> that sounds so stupid so but, but it, what the whole experience has done is we've just met like so many incredible people throughout the entire like process of running it of talking to people after the show like at night of just like connecting with people that we were inspired by we had a ton of people come we had some people from who had uh published Firewatch. We had some of the developers from Gone Home. Uh, one developer from uh, What Remains of Edith Finch. Uh, oh, nice. So it was just really, I guess, creatively rewarding to meet all these people that we were inspired by to make this, that were inspired by our thing, and it just was it was really awesome. So we made a lot of cool connections with people all over um, the industry, ranging from games to film to theater. Just it, we And we wouldn't have met them any other way but through this. It's nice to hear that there's so many people on that, that broad spectrum. Because like I knew of some folks coming through because I you know hear things, but I didn't know that uh, a bunch of people, people from the game, the indie game world, kind of found you guys. But even other immersive yeah. creators that we were inspired by from seeing their shows or inspired by our show, and yeah, it's just this cool uh, cyclical process that was just really fulfilling creatively. Well, and you guys do see a lot of stuff. You, you get out there and see things. Is there anything of late that you guys have caught that has been particularly intriguing or inspiring? Well, then, now that we have a life. Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. that we have our lives back. And now yeah. we just spend our lives seeing other immersive shows. <laughs> now like, we're destroying it again in a good way. Yeah. I feel like yeah. we just like went away in a time capsule and we're just like now emerging from yeah. this bunker. And we're like seeing the world again we've like missed everything in the news and everything from the last several months but right. yeah like recently oh boy we, I guess we, we're new to it then no. <laughs> I know I almost don't want to know no but. don't you don't <laughs> who's the president yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> what so, year is this yeah. <laughs> so we uh, a couple weeks ago saw a string of like three shows I saw Red Flags which was awesome Obviously, it was just like totally amazing and inspiring. And then we saw the Willows the next night, literally the next night. And then on the following day, we saw In Another Room. And that was equally amazing. And all of them were just so cool in their own right. Uh, I saw Then She Fell for a second time a few days ago. What can be said? Yeah. We all know it's amazing. Yeah. The amazing of the amazing. So. Well, and, and, and I, yeah, I caught, I caught In Another Room and I was... I was really impressed by by what they managed to pull off. And again, it was like in their apartment. Like you, you, yeah. The nest was like in the shed in, in the back of your place, mm-hmm. Jeff. And, and here these folks were doing like, you know, a duplex in Koreatown or the outer edges of Koreatown. I don't even know if you right. call that Koreatown. Right. Um, and 
holy, holy God. Like Yeah, they that, transformed that place. I mean, I it, can't it, even imagine what it looks like normally. It no. just was like a completely different world when you stepped in there. And each room had a had a totally separate vibe. That I think was like right. the, the cleverest thing. Is like you kind of time traveled through eras based on which door you were you were next sent through. Mm-hmm. Right. So just a really super composed piece of work. Um, but and I think it's awesome to see all of these shows and the strength of all of them and, the, and and the fact that like we were talking about before that each of them are strong and inspiring in their own unique ways I just think only helps everybody it's like uh, I don't want to say it's like a it's like a healthy competition too it's like a kick in the kick in the ass to like keep making cool stuff just because you're constantly inspired by each other and, and, and creating new work so I, I think it's amazing it just I was really blown away by just the strength of all of those pieces. Yeah, no, there's there's something really great happening in terms of people going to each other's work and and learning lessons, getting inspired, incorporating new stuff, you know, and you can if you start seeing enough work, you start to see like, oh, okay, I can see they're they're getting inspired by this from over here and over here they're getting inspired by this. And then you'll talk to creators and, you'll, and you'll, they'll be excited because, oh my God, oh my God, Jeff and Jared are coming to my show, you know, like, stuff like <laughs> that. Or, or, or people like, oh, oh, I'm going to the Willows tomorrow, you know, uh, all that sort of stuff, you know, like everyone's, right. everyone's just excited to catch their own, catch each other's work. Um, and to see where this adventure leads us, so we're in a we're in a good feedback loop. On, Definitely. On well, anything um, anything on, on the, we, we we could go we could go really deep, but I kind of want to. I'm, I'm actually starting to fade. <laughs> like it's like late enough. Um, been a long day. Um, anything on the horizon that we should be looking at, or anything on the horizon that you guys are looking forward to hmm. dropping? Mm-hmm. Not even it doesn't have to be your work. It could be anybody's work if there's something like in your in your head or just you know. I don't know. That's a good question. Do 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 Stranger Things? Yeah. <laughs> oh my good. That makes a lot of sense actually. Oh, and there's that bar I know, in Chicago. I love have that you aesthetic. seen have you seen the bar in Chicago? No. Like I think I saw your post on it. Yeah. Like yeah. they've somebody and I don't think it's officially licensed, someone in Chicago has done like a bar a theme bar called the Upside Down. Which someone Yes, did, I did yes. Yeah. Which then someone also said like, Oh, but wait, they're kids. How can they go into a bar? Like this doesn't even make <laughs> right. sense. But like the it's light, upside down, it's fine. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the the lights the Christmas lights thing, I think that's the right. the main thing. Like, right. Would, don't they have like a like a full set on this alien or something like that? I think they do something yeah. which doesn't actually make because that's not what the upside down is, but like whatever, you know. <laughs> like, that's fine. That's fine, people. Um, I got tickets to the LACMA show, the, uh, oh, the VR thing. To Carnegie Arena. Yeah, yeah. Like snag oh, some tickets. I'm, so. I'm looking forward to hearing your take on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about that stuff. I'm excited just in general to see the potential of more VR. In, well. Integrated in clever ways, it sounds like that show in particular does a good job of writing the line. So, it, I mean, that thing that thing is both an installation and uh, and a VR film. So, which I think is really what what that stuff should be more and more yeah. um, when it's not like a, a a pure creation tool or toy. Um, having there be a physical element, I think, really really helps out uh, getting people into the mood, and in, in terms of telling you know, the stories people want to tell with it. Yeah, I mean, and in terms of, like, our work in the future, I mean, uh, probably nothing, like, in the super short term, just because we're sort of, like, in that mode where we're 
you know, it's like at the end of a project, you're totally burnt out, but you can't help but just like right. start to simmer a few things, well, like just to see right. where, what the potential might be, well, just that, with a few little seeds of an idea. So that's kind yeah. of the stage we're at right now. Well, and that's, that's the thing, like there's this pace here in LA, which I think is almost like detrimental to everybody, which is like, there's this like, we got to pump out the next thing, pump out the next thing. And a lot of companies are like pushing themselves, pushing themselves, pushing themselves. And I think about... You know, in the earlier eras of this, I think about, you know, Punch Drunk doesn't, you know, they're working at a bigger scale, right? It makes some sense in terms of people working at small, you know, small scale, but like giving people a chance to like slow their process down, take some time, right. think about what they're going to do, maybe scale the work up a little bit so that, you know, more people can come through and like not being worried about it just dying on the vine or like not capturing or being forgotten, you know. Um, no one's going to forget people when this stuff is good the anticipation just just builds and builds and builds and you, know, you look at something like you know there's there's no delusion this year but right. you know there'll be delusion next year and oh man that's going to you know that's going to cause people to like you know freak out it's like the pace doesn't have to be a marvel movie pace it can be right. like you know a really good album pace you know just don't you know don't make this be you know you know, Dre's The Chronic too, or yeah. you know, like don't, don't whatever. No, nothing like that. Like no, not the. No, it wasn't The Chronic too. It was. Um, oh God, I can't remember. There was one that he never finished. Detox. Oh, okay. Detox. He never finished Detox. He spent okay. ten years working on an album, and never, never. He just and ultimately just like put it in the trash can and came up with something else. So like, don't, right. don't do that. Right. Yeah, and it, and it's yeah. there is something though to be said. I think for forcing yourself to just put something up super quickly because sometimes that just like. It just breeds this like amazing work. Like sometimes that that can be the best scenario is to give oh, yeah. yourself a timeline. Say, uh, I've got two months, three months. This is the right. goal, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best. And on that date that I've set for myself, I'm gonna put something up. I think that was another thing we learned with the nest. It's like we committed to April first. The show had to be up then, and it's like it's amazing the sort of design decisions that you make when you're hard up against a. Uh, deadline. I mean, I think so. The Hollywood system works. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but in many ways, it's like just by forcing yourself to work within a constraint, you yeah. can all of a sudden create these like amazing things you would never have thought of if you had just right uh, had had this open ended sort of situation. Right. But that being said, to Noah's point, there you do need that period in between where yeah you're just thinking and seeing other shows and seeing other types of media and just coming up with all these random ideas that will someday influence something you're working on, but yeah. you don't know how. And I think that's really the phase we're in right now of, we, I feel like we talk about a different idea every day. Like, would this be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? Some things are immersive shows. Some things are not even immersive shows. They're like totally different ways that you can tell a story because that's really exciting to us of just like, yeah. yes, it was really fun to do the nest in this specific format, but what other formats can we use to tell a story? There's, there's, and there's infinite possibilities. So I don't know. We're we're kind of in that phase right now where like one day we're like, okay, this would be awesome. That'd be awesome. We need, really need to start writing all this stuff <laughs> because we have so many things in our head. Yeah. Um, but eventually one will stick. We'll figure out the more practical side for one of them, and then we'll be more in that mode like Jeff's talking about, where once that starts to stick and you start to see how you can move forward with it, then it's like set a date. It's got to be done. Mm-hmm. Like. Go for it as fast as you possibly can. And, and personally, I think letting when you're in that period of, of 
letting ideas sort of simmer on the stove and having multiple ones going at a time. It's like you just want to go and see and read and consume as much inspirational stuff as you can art. It's like just go to a museum, listen to a podcast. I just listened to uh, or I've been listening to Homecoming recently, a podcast. It's Mm. a serial audio thing, but it's got like a lot of great actors in it. It's Oscar Isaac and uh, David David Schwimmer. Oh, wow. And it's a total like, like... uh, audio play but like the audio is really well done it's almost binaural binaural like audio sort of situation but it, it's really well done it is an adaptation short. of of like the the, the, the not the Beckett play because there's a there's no this is the original yeah I think okay. it is yeah. I mean I could be wrong but I think it's an original piece but just playing video games going to see shows just let it wash over you and I, I'm a strong believer in like not really documenting what parts of each thing you want to retain or learn from. I don't think you need to document it, but maybe that's just me. It's like, let it wash over you, and it's going to come out on the other end yeah. in this weird hybrid in yeah. your head. You know, trusting the unconscious process to yeah. sort of take it along. So, and no, just like consuming that. as much as you can. Yeah. Refill the tanks is what some people call it. You know, like, it's very, very important to do that. Well, guys, thanks for thanks for coming around the kitchen table, and looking forward to like the next time we have cause to have this conversation. Definitely, thank yeah, you. Thank you, and thank you to everyone who came out to see the show. Once again, I want to thank Jeff and Jarrett for being our guests on the show. You can find Scout Expedition Company at scoutexpedition.co. That is the center of their world on the internet. Hey, um, this is traditionally a part of the show where I go off on a rant. Uh, we did that already. I do want to tag one thing, which is this. We know that the initial statement on the founding of Leia was light on specifics. That is by design. Leia.design. Um, we are in the process of hammering out the specifics on the committees that we are announcing the formation of. And on top of that, uh, because we're in the process of forming the 501c, whatever it's going to be, and there's some choices there to be made by the founding committee, um, some of the things we're doing are specifically restricted for legal reasons. We're protecting everybody involved because we're doing this for real. This is this is not a game. This is not a joke. This is not us going like, hey kids, let's put on a show. I mean, we do that all the time. And sometimes it is a game. And sometimes it's an elaborate joke. This is neither of those things. This is trying and succeeding at building an industry organization, which means you gotta do it right. And you gotta do it right straight from the start. The doors, however, are open if you are an immersive creator and you are interested in being part of the process. And by creators, I mean you're a writer, you're a director, you're an actor, you're a designer, you make VR, you make AR, and you care about the quality and you care about the infrastructure of this emerging industry, do contact us contact at leia.design we want to know you're out there we want to know that you want to be a part of this as it says in the initial thing our focus initially is southern california 
because that is kind of where a lot of us are. But in the long run, we can see this growing, but we want to do it right. We're going slow. We're going brick by brick, not because the need isn't there to address a wide range of issues, but because when we make a promise, we intend to keep it. Full stop. End of story. Contact at Leia.design. We want you. All right. That's enough for the show this time. I hope you're ready. Because it only gets stranger and weirder, more complex. Look, if, uh, if you're not up for the fight, uh, now, now's a good time to, to hop off the train. Right? Because it isn't always going to be easy going ahead. Tempers won't always stay cool. But let me tell you, where we're going, oh, where we're going. If I was you, I wouldn't get off the train. Stick around. The music for this episode, as always, is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The financial support of this show is made possible by our Patreon backers, patreon.com slash nopersidium. Chief amongst them is Ross Sigworth of the Rathskeller Club in San Francisco. We couldn't do this show without our Patreon backers. We wouldn't do this show without our audience. We hope that you are having an excellent time here in the fields of immersiveness. (laughs) Weird. And that you will join us next week for our next show. And until then, I'll see you at the show. (laughs) 